Well, let's start with an overview of what we've seen so far in the verses we've been studying in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verses 1 and 2, Peter introduces himself as the author of this letter and gives some encouraging words to his readers. And then in verses 3 through 13, Peter calls them, he calls us, to set our hope fully on the joy of being with Jesus Christ forever. Think about this. At the end of history, Jesus Christ will return, bring history to a close. And when that happens, all those who've trusted Christ are going to be filled with a joy that we've only had tastes of up to this point. You will see Jesus Christ ablaze with the glory of God. You will see him shining with majesty, tenderness, power, justice, compassion, mercy, sovereignty, and seeing him will fill your heart to joy overflowing. That's coming, and Peter says, set your hope fully on that moment, the joy that'll be yours beholding Jesus Christ forever. Then last week, Pastor Ben showed us from verses 14 through 21 that Peter says we should let this, this hope, this living hope, free us from our old desires we should let it give us holy conduct in everything that we do, and we should let it warn us of the importance of obeying Jesus Christ. So that brings us up through verse 21, and uh, today we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. So let's read through this passage together, verses 22 through 25, and as we've been doing these last weeks, I want you to be on the lookout for clues which would show us what Peter's main point is in this passage. What are some of the clues we might see? Commands are always a clue to a main point because commands are always the main point. So if you see a command, take note of that. Also, words like therefore, which shows that he's pointing to um, a main point, he's coming to a main point, the word therefore. Also, words like since or because, which show that he's just given a main point. So watch for commands, watch for therefores, watch for senses or becauses, okay? Let's read verses 22 through 25 and ask, what is Peter's main point in these verses? Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, which was written B.C. 800 or so. From Isaiah 40, verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And a powerful and amazing passage of Scripture. Now, did you notice the command there? It's right there, the second part of verse 22. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So because it's a command, we know that's Peter's main point here. There's no other commands. And also because verse 23 starts with the word since, that shows that verses 23 through 25 give reasons for 
the main command, which was just stated at the last half of verse 22. So the main point of this passage is love one another. Grace Church, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's what Peter wants us to be walking away with this morning. Now, what does that mean? It's always good to put these words in our own words. So to love someone means you care for them so much that you take steps to meet their needs, strengthen them in their faith, address any physical needs they might have. You care for someone so much that you take steps to meet their needs. And while other passages call us to love everyone, here Peter calls us to love one another. So he's especially focused here on our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ our love for our fellow believers. That's what he's talking about here. But notice, he doesn't just say love one another. Every word is crucial. Every word is here by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Peter wants us to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. Now, what does it mean to to love someone earnestly? Well, that's the opposite of what, like, lackadaisically, Uh, lazily, right? Earnestly means passionately, with feeling. That's what Peter's talking about here. So I just try to think of some examples of of what that might look like to really, for us here, to love one another earnestly. And here's a couple of illustrations. Let's say that a fellow believer tells you that they're really discouraged. Some things have happened in their lives recently, have really weighed them down, drawn them to be discouraged. And to love them earnestly would mean that you deeply care that they're discouraged. You don't just say, well, you know, they'll get it worked out. You care. You're concerned. It's, it's weighing on you so much that you're willing to maybe, like, stay up late one night, meeting with them at a coffee shop, opening up the scriptures, talking with them, praying with them. That would be earnestly loving them. What if a fellow believer's car breaks down, can't make it to work? To love them earnestly would mean that you wouldn't just blow that off, but you'd be thinking, this is a problem. What can I do? Can I, can I drive you to work tomorrow? Can I find, help find somebody else who could drive you to work? You care about them. It's, their concern is your concern. Like Paul says, when they weep, you weep, and you take steps to help them. Maybe you meet someone new here on a Friday morning, and to love them earnestly would mean that you'd, you'd want, you want them to feel welcome to Abu Dhabi, welcome to Grace Church. So maybe you would invite them and their family over for dinner this week to just get to know them, hear their story, have them get to know you and your family. Maybe you can tell that a fellow believer is being tempted to sin in some way, being drawn away from Christ. Their their love for Christ seems to have been diminishing and their passion for something that's not right has been increasing. What would it mean to love them earnestly? Well, again, it would mean you care deeply about this. This is troubling you. You know what's at stake here. And so you may call them up. You may, how can I pray for you? Can we get together? Can we talk? Um, if, they're, if they're battling some sin, you may take some time to pray, maybe even fast and pray that God will give them strength and power. This is earnest loving of each other. That's what Peter's calling us to do. But he doesn't just say love each other earnestly. He says love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, what does that mean? To love one another from a pure heart. I think what that means is he's talking about our motives. It means we aren't loving each other in order to make a name for ourselves or in order to have somebody 
recognize us, but we're loving them for the glory of Jesus Christ and for their well-being, especially their well-being in Him. It's for Christ's glory and for their good. That's what's motivating us and stirring us. So that's the main point. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's what Peter's calling us to do here. Okay, so now when we read the scriptures, now we don't just want to keep, keep going. We want to stop and say, okay, so how are we doing? How am I doing in this? So ask yourself some questions. How earnest is your longing to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Over this past week, how many times has your heart been stirred with compassion, care for a fellow believer? How passionate is your desire to strengthen other believers in their faith? Do you long to see them strengthened, long to see them encouraged? How strong is your motivation to spend time with other believers, to help them in any ways that they need help or to bless them in some particular ways? How strong is that passion in your heart? And how pure are your motives? Is your love for them, is that passion for care and concern for Jesus' glory and for their well-being? Is that, what, is that what's motivating this? Now, as I've thought about these questions, two thoughts came into my mind about me and about, and about us, especially about thinking about the church, and that is God has blessed Grace Church with a beautiful measure of this kind of love. I hear reports almost every week of tangible, practical ways that you are loving each other and serving each other and caring for each other that is, is beautiful. I love it. Praise God. He's been so gracious to us. That's one thought. Just, Lord, thank you for the love you've given this body here. And the other thought is, Lord, I'm sure that we, that we can grow more. I'm sure that all of us, even the most loving amongst us, none of us has this down perfectly, right? We all can grow more in this. So the question is, how do we grow more in this? How do we go about loving one another earnestly from the heart? And too often, we answer that question by closing our Bibles and just saying, okay, I've got I to work on this some more. So we just try really hard to, to be loving towards people. I've just got to use my willpower to kind of stir up a case fuller and I'll start, just have compassion for this person. Come on, man, love them. And we try to use our own willpower, our own efforts, our own abilities, our own strengths to try to produce that love ourselves. But we shouldn't close the Bible to answer that question. We should, we should open the Bible and say, how do we do it? And that's what I want to ask Peter in this passage. Peter, How? How can we grow in being more loving? How can we do that? And Peter tells us at the beginning of verse 22. This is so encouraging. Read all of verse 22 and see if you see what I'm seeing here. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Did you catch that? The only way we can love others earnestly from a pure heart is if we first have had our souls purified by obedience to the truth. Do you see that? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, 
love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we need to purify our souls by obedience to the truth. Now, what does that mean? This is so important because we could easily get this wrong and be very discouraged or get it right and experience our souls being purified. We might think wrongly that obedience to the truth simply means, okay, I got to obey the commands. Like I've just got to start obeying this command to love and then that'll purify my heart. But do you understand why that doesn't work? That just doesn't make any sense here. Think about it. If the reason I'm not loving is because I have impurities in my heart, if it's these soul impurities that keep me from being loving, if it's, I want to make sure you get this, it's my soul impurities that are keeping me from being loving, then it doesn't help to say, start being loving and you'll get rid of the soul impurities. Do you see why that doesn't make any sense? If it's my soul impurities that are keeping me from being loving, then I can't get rid of them by being loving because that's what's keeping me from being loving. I hope you see that. This is really crucial. Okay, well then, what does obedience to the truth mean? And the way to answer questions like that oftentimes is to look in the same book we're studying to see if the author uses the same kind of language, same kind of word, and he uses the same word obedience or obey in chapter 4, verse 17, which I think shows us what this means here. I saw this from a commentator I was looking at this week. So look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 to see what does it mean to be obedient to the truth. Now here's the background to this passage. It's a little bit of a scary passage, and it should be. Peter's talking about the fact that judgment is coming upon the whole world. And he says, if judgment, a, a refining, purifying judgment is going to start with the church of God, what kind of judgment are the lost people going to face? Whoa, he wants us to be trembling at that. So that's what's being talked about here. But now look at what he says. 1 Peter 4, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin, refining judgment, not a punishing judgment, refining judgment, strengthening judgment, to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not, I get this next phrase, obey the gospel of God? So here in 1 Peter, Peter talks about obeying the truth in chapter 1, verse 22, and he talks about obeying the gospel in chapter 4, verse 17. And so I think it's not wrong to assume that what he means by obeying the truth in chapter 1, verse 22 means obeying the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And that, that works here, because think about it. What does the gospel call us to do? The gospel calls us to trust Jesus Christ. Trust Jesus Christ. Not do, do, do. It means trust. We trust Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel calls us to do. It means we turn to Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I hope you've done that. I hope you are doing that. You trust Jesus Christ to forgive all of your sins, to by his power, free you, change your heart, and by his presence, to fill you and satisfy you with joy now and forever. That's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, become a Christian. You trust Jesus Christ. And that's how we purify our hearts. If we turn to trust him to forgive us, to change us, to satisfy us now and forever, you can summarize all of that as living hope. That's what's involved when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You're, you're putting your hope in him. You're setting your hope firmly, fully onto him. 
And when we do that, our souls get purified for this kind of love. When we put our hope in Jesus Christ, change happens in our hearts and we're able to love. When we take our hope out of other things and put it back onto Jesus Christ and eternity with him, he will fill us with such hope, such joy, such fullness that soul impurities are washed away and we overflow with love for others. Now, let me give you an illustration um, to see if you can feel how this works. You've all experienced it, but I want to see if I can remind you about how this happens, how this works like psychologically in our hearts. See if this helps. When I was eight years old, um, I was sitting at the dinner table with my family, my mom, my dad, two older sisters, and a younger brother, and we were eating dinner, and, uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly, but I was just an eight-year-old kid, so probably my heart was just like, you know, blah, whatever, you know, finish dinner, go watch something on TV, right? That's, I wasn't particularly overflowing with love for anybody. I just was like, okay, let's eat dinner. But at the end of dinner, my dad said, I have a very important announcement to make. I think this was a Friday night. He said, tomorrow, we're all going to go to Disneyland together. Now, many of you do not know what Disneyland is. You probably all heard about it, but so Disneyland, it's an amazing, actually there's a number of them now. There's, isn't there one in France now too? Maybe other countries as well. But it's an amazing theme park. Acres and acres of just fun, 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 fun. Everywhere you look, it's just fun. A whole day of fun. So I, I'm hearing my dad make this announcement. I'm thinking, I get to explore Tom Sawyer's Island tomorrow morning, and I get to, to ride the, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and I get to go on the Matterhorn ride, and, and even Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which is such an awesome, right? Okay, anyway, bear with me. It was very exciting to hear, all right? And so my heart just, I'm like, tomorrow's going to be awesome. I, I, I am set. What a great thing I get to look forward to. I was filled with hope, right? Do, do you see that? Now, what happened next shocked my whole family, and especially me. I said, I'm going to do the dishes tonight. <laughs> they were all just speechless, and I was too. What have I done? No. I, so what, what was that all about? Where did that come from? Haven't you experienced something like that? Times when your heart is so full of hope, so full of joy, you feel like it's going to burst unless you just do something for someone right? Fervent, heart, uh, earnest love was flowing out of my heart to the extent that I was willing to take on the costly task of doing the dishes for my family because of, of hope. Now, jot down Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And just look this up this afternoon, where Paul talks about the love you have for all the saints because of the hope that is yours in heaven. Love for the saints is because of the hope we have in heaven. There's a cause-effect relationship between hope, living hope, and love for others. And I experienced that as I was thinking about Disneyland. Okay, now, I want you to see how that works. That's what Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter 1.22. Now, I should mention, of course, the hope of Disneyland is I mean, seriously, it's nothing. I mean, it's just nothing compared to the hope that we have of beholding Jesus Christ in all of his glory, being filled with the joy of worshiping him, knowing him, having that go on forever. So you, you get the point. I mean, Disneyland is nothing compared to the hope of beholding Jesus Christ. But the point is that 
even with the small, tiny hope of going to Disneyland, if that was enough to make me want to wash the dishes for my family, how much more will the hope of eternal joy, ever-increasing joy, all-satisfying joy in Christ forever, how much more will that free us as a church body to love each other earnestly from a pure heart? That's how this works. So hope purifies our souls so we love our brothers and sisters. That's what Peter's talking about in verse 22. Now let's read that verse again. I want you to see this in the verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, when does this purification happen? When does it happen? Well, it surely happens when we are first saved, right? Because that's when we first obey the truth, obey the gospel, and put our trust in Jesus Christ. When we first trusted Jesus, we were filled with hope, hope overflowing. Remember that? Filled with hope, and we overflowed. That hope caused us to overflow with love for others. It purified our souls, so we loved others. So it definitely happens when we are first saved. But that's not, it doesn't stop there. It's not like, okay, now we're purified for the rest of our lives. Because, well, look at, just jot down chapter 2, verse 1, where Peter lists some of the soul impurities, and he says, put these aside. Malice, jealousy, envy, slander. These are all soul impurities that can keep us from loving. So jot down chapter 2, verse 1. But see, even though we've been saved, we've been purified, we still have some indwelling sin in us, right? And don't you notice how you can put your, your hope in Christ, you get time with the Lord first thing in the morning, you're reading the scriptures, you're praying, you're worshiping, your hope is set on Christ, your joy is in Him, trusting Him for everything, now and, 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 and heaven forever. And then 30 minutes later, your, your hope has been drawn off to, look at this little thing over here right? Or, well, this looks interesting over here. And we're drawn off to these other distractions. Isn't that how it goes? We set our hope on Christ, and then our indwelling sin pulls us away. Set your hope here. How about this? Look at this interesting thing over here, which is why we were purified when we were first saved, and we need to continually keep purifying our souls for sincere love of the brethren so that we actually can love. And we do that every time by obeying the truth, obeying the gospel, by putting our trust back in Jesus, putting our hope back onto Jesus and saying, God, show me your glory. Give me another taste of heaven's joy. Show me Jesus' beauty. Fill my heart again with living hope so I will overflow in love for others. So that's how it works. What this means is that it's our hope in other things besides Christ that um, brings impurities into our souls, which then keeps us from loving other people. And so the way we purify our souls is by setting our hope back on, on Christ. Now, I find this really good news, um, and I hope you do too, because there are many times when we as followers of Jesus find that our hearts are not full of love for other people, right? You might just find that your heart is feeling blah, like lifeless, like there's really no earnestness for anything going on. Okay? And that keeps you from loving other people if that's what's in your heart, right? How loving are you when you're feeling blah? Not very. I'm not. 
Or if, you're, if your soul is, is full of worry or insecurity, which comes from putting your hope somewhere else, right? And when your hope is full of worry or insecurity, how, how much do you love and care for other people? I don't. I'm, I'm worried. I'm not loving, right? Or if your soul is feeling bitter or unforgiving towards someone, how loving are you? Obviously, not so much. Or if you're just like, I just want some time alone. I just want to be myself, please. Ah, how loving are you at that moment? Not very. So these are all soul impurities which keep us from earnestly loving one another from a pure heart. But the good news is that all those and any other soul impurity that's in your heart can be washed away as you set your hope back onto Jesus Christ, trust his promise to assure you of forgiveness, to change your heart, to fill you with hope, trust his hope filling you with joy now and forever. And as you do that, he will change your heart. He will fill you with joy. And as that joy rises, your hope and other things will be changed, obviously, and your love for other people will rise as well. So here's what we've looked at so far. We've asked, what's Peter's main point? We saw that his main point is the last part of verse 22. That we should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Then we've asked, how can we grow in being more loving? And we saw in verse 22, the beginning of verse 22, it's by being purified through setting our hope back on Christ. Trusting his promise, not just to forgive us, which is beautiful through the cross, we're forgiven even for that sin, but then trusting his promise to satisfy us in his presence forever. And when we set our hope back on Christ, hope will restore, souls will be purified, and love will flow. That's what happens. So that's what we've covered so far, but now Peter has one last question he wants to answer. So powerful. How does this hope in Christ free us to be so loving? How does this free us to be so loving? And the answer is in verses 23 through 25. This hope frees us to be loving, verse 23, since, here's the reason why, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So it's because of what happened when we were born again. Now, what happened when we were born again? Well, look back. Remember what we saw in chapter 1, verse 3? Peter tells us what happened when we were born again. Let's read chapter 1, verse 3. Same phrase, born again, but look at, he gives us more detail in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Do you see that? Caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when you were saved, you were born again to a living hope. God brought his supernatural power upon you. And he changed your heart. He, he caused you to be born again. So your heart was changed. New life was birthed in you. And part of that new life was you, for the first time, owned up to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. When you'd heard about Jesus, uh, not interested, whatever, that's for some people. But then, born again, heart changed. You owned up to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And you put your trust in Jesus. Remember that day? To forgive you. Oh, and you felt guilt lift. And you felt God's assuring love pouring in, in upon you. 
You trusted him to forgive you. You trusted him to change your heart. You could feel your heart changing right then and there. And you trusted him to fill you with joy in him now and forever. That's what happened when you were born again. And when that happened, we were filled with living hope. Born again to a living hope. You, when you were converted, when you trusted Christ, you were filled with living hope. That was the result. So in verse 23, now let's go back to verse 23. When Peter's talking about being born again, he's especially talking about us being born again to a living hope. And verse 23 tells us what's true about that living hope. So read verse 23 again. Make sure you get this. Since you've been born again to a living hope, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Okay, so when you were born again, God birthed by His power supernatural, a new supernatural spiritual life in you, which is marked by living hope. And if this life was birthed in you by a perishable seed, what would happen to that life? It would die, right? If the new spiritual life, if that living hope was birthed in you by perishable seed, it would die. But what if that new life, that living hope was birthed in you by imperishable seed? What's going to be true about that living hope? It will never die. How long will that new living hope last? It's imperishable, birthed by an imperishable seed. That living hope is going to last forever. Oh, and I, I just, I'm praying God will just broaden our, enlarge our minds to start to think about forever and what that means. Look at verses 24 and 25. Peter wants to put it in different words, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 to restate this idea that this living hope we have will never fail us. It is imperishable. It'll last forever and ever and ever. Look at what he says in verses 24 and 25. For, here's the quote from Isaiah 40, all flesh is like grass. Now, flesh here means, in the context of what Isaiah is writing, all human achievements and, 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 and things, all, all human achievements and stuff, okay? All flesh. That's everything that, that mankind achieves, accomplishes, whatever. All flesh is like grass. And all of its glory, the glory, human glory, like Bentleys, right? And, and waterfront villas, right? And, and ath athletic stars and rock stars and fancy all kinds of stuff, okay? So all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. So what happens to, to all of this glitz and glamour and glitter? The grass withers, and the flower falls. All of it. All human accomplishments, all human celebrity, all human glitz and glamour will fall and wither and be over. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever, right? Birthed by imperishable seed. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Oh, let's, let's feel what Peter's saying here. Every other hope, every other achievement, every other glitz, glamour, celebrity, whatever, it will perish and die. It will not last. Disneyland's joys did not last. Driving home the next day after Disneyland, ate too much sugar, we're all crabby in the car, we're just, right, right? You've been there, right? It's over, you feel it's all, right? 
fame, money, all, everything else except for the joy of knowing God's glory in Jesus Christ is just like grass, like a flower which will wither, fall. Every other hope will perish and die. Oh, church, if we could see this more clearly, this is life-changing. Every other hope will be gone one day. So you ask, well, then why would I hope in it? Exactly. Why would you hope in it? It's going to be gone someday. But the word of the Lord, the promise in God's word of life forever in the joy of worshiping Jesus, that word, that promise is true forever. That's what Peter wants us to get here. It will never fall. It will never wither. It will last forever in an ever-increasing way. See, that's how this hope frees us to be loving. It promises us joy, all-satisfying joy, forever. I mean, if, if you could see, if you could see the future that you have through Christ, if you could look ahead to the future that you have and know that forever you are going to be experiencing ever-increasing joy, never get bored. It's always like, whoa, you're glorious. And all satisfying joy. You are everything, all I would ever need. That's who Jesus Christ is. And this is going to go on forever. If you right now could see the future that you have forever of that joy in Christ, you, your heart would be freed from worries. They'd be gone. Your heart would be stirred with passion, love for him and passion to love for other people. You'd be set free from jealousy of other people. Who cares what they have? Look at this future, right? Your heart would be freed. All the soul impurities would be washed away. And you'd be so filled with joy and with hope that you'd earnestly love one another from a pure heart. Do you see how that works? This is how we obey the command to love earnestly from a pure heart. It's by taking our hope out of the other things we've started to hope in and setting our hope back onto the promise of Jesus Christ. Join him now and forever. That's how this motivates us. When we see that we have a future in front of us of unending joy, when we see that, when we feel that, when we believe that, our hearts get changed and we love. That's how it works. And again, the reason this hope frees us is because it's a hope that will last forever. And every other hope won't. So, how then do we go about tangibly, practically working on becoming more loving? Let me give you five steps. So I'm going to read them through, and then I want to take some time right now. We've got time. This is good. I want us to do this together right now. Have kind of what my wife calls a lab session. Okay, we'll do a little lab this morning. You know, university, you got your lectures and you got your labs. Okay, we'll do a lab here. Here's five steps. First, see where you've been placing your hope. Just honestly, what have I been hoping in? Second, ask God to forgive you through Jesus, through his death on the cross, for making other things your hope. Forgive us, Lord. Third, ask God to free you from those other hopes 
and to renew your hope in Christ. You can't do this by your own power, but he can and he will when we ask him to. Fourth, pray over 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. There's lots of passages we could use, but since we're in 1 Peter, let's go back and look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Pray over that until your hope in Christ starts to grow. Holy Spirit helps you to see it, helps you to trust Jesus more. You start to see and feel the hope that you have in Christ. Hope becomes real. It becomes living hope. And then number five, as your hope grows, step out and love others in some bold new ways. And then we'll be doing what Peter says, earnestly loving one another from a pure heart. So let's do this. I, I want to walk us through this right now and step by step, I'll, I'll lead us in, in, in how to pray, how to think about these things. And I'm, I was praying yesterday and this morning that, that right now as we do this, God would come by his precious Holy Spirit through Jesus and that he would touch your heart right now and that he would, would spark living hope in your heart right now, that you would trust Jesus more for this living hope right now and experience more of this living hope in Jesus Christ right now. And because when that happens, then soul impurities will be washed away and love for others will grow. So let's ask God to come and do that right now. So here's, here's the first step. See where you've been placing your hope. So here's what, just ask yourself this. What's been exciting you the most? That's what you're hoping in the most. Um, what have you been looking forward to the most? Another way of saying the same thing. That's what you've been hoping in the most. So whatever those things are, that's where your hope has been. And understand, if that's not the joy of beholding Jesus in all his glory forever, then you're hoping in something that will fall and that will wither and that will fail you and that will disappoint you. So important to see this. So take some time right now, just ponder. What have you been hoping in? What have you been looking forward to? What have you been the most excited about? And is it something besides the joy you'll have in beholding Jesus forever? Now second, ask God to forgive you for making other things your hope. This is a crucial step. And, and what really gripped me last night as I was thinking about this was how deeply it dishonors God when he has given me Jesus Christ, his son, gave me Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins, to rise from the dead, conquering sin, death, and Satan. And he's given Jesus to me to be my joy and my treasure forever. And God has given me the most precious gift in the universe. And I like uh, let's, let's, I'm going to put my hope in this for a while here. What's this over here? It, it dishonors God and his glory and Jesus and his glory. And I, and I want you to feel that this morning. Church, we have dishonored God this last week by putting our hope in other things. So let's, let's see that and feel that. And so take some time right now and just pray and, and ask God to forgive you. Just, just bow your head. I'll lead us. Just pray something along these lines. Father, Forgive me for having turned away from the most precious gift in the universe, the gift of your son, and setting my hope on something else. Help me see how wrong that is more clearly and help me to, to, to feel how wrong it is more deeply 
and I praise you that through Jesus I can be completely forgiven now. I trust you, Father, through Jesus to forgive me. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. That's the second step. Third, ask God to free you from other hopes and to renew your hope in Christ. I want us to do that right now. Um, let's just ask him. I'll, I'll, I'll lead us. And pray along with me. Father, I pray that you bring your power upon me right now through Jesus by the Holy Spirit and, and set me free from these other hopes. They've had a hold on me. Um, I'm drawn toward them. I see that they're not going to satisfy me. They're not going to last. Only your glory in Christ will satisfy me and will last. So I pray that you would free me now from those other hopes. And I pray that, that you would stir in my heart love for Christ, hope in Christ, joy in Christ. Help me to see eternity of joy in Christ and to feel what that's going to mean and be like. So come and do that now in my heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. That's third. And fourth, let's pray over 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, until our hope in Christ starts to grow. So let me just, I'll read a verse, and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray over it. This is how I would pray over it. And you can put it in your own words, or when you're taking time this afternoon to do this. But let's ask God to, 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 to do this right now. Father, I pray that you'd use your word right now. And we here at Grace Church, Lord, we want to leave here today hoping more fully in Christ than when we walked in. So would you use your word now to free us from the other hopes and to strengthen us in hoping in Christ? Come and do that. So here's verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we bless you for this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So just pray that verse. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus' death, which means I can receive your mercy and be forgiven. Thank you for Jesus' resurrection, which means there's the certain hope of heaven. Thank you that I have living hope in Jesus Christ. You caused me to be born again to it. It's mine. I have it through faith in Christ. God, strengthen me to see this more clearly, this living hope which is mine through Jesus. Verse 4. To an inheritance, this is another way of describing the living hope, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So pray this. Lord, help me to see right now that every other hope is perishable, Every other hope is defiled. Every other hope is fading. Help me to see clearly now, only Jesus, joy in Jesus forever is imperishable, is undefiled, and is unfading. Help me to see that, Father. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded, this is such good news, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Father, thank you that 
that you've promised to keep me on the road to heaven. You, you will guard me for this salvation. You'll keep me on the road to heaven all the way to the end. You won't let me turn away from you before you, you bring me back. So that means that because I'm trusting you now, I know for 100% certainty that I will be there with you forever, beholding your son in great joy. Thank you that you will guard me. I will be there. That is my certain destiny forever. Mm. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Pray something like this, thank you that your living hope is so glorious, so real, that it can give me joy now, even when I'm facing heartbreaking, grievous trials. Give me more of that joy right now. And Father, I pray for those here who are going through trials that are causing them grief. I pray that alongside that grief, you'd give them the joy of this living hope, that they can see past that grief, past that trial, to their eternity. Give that to them right now, I pray, Lord. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So pray something like this. Thank you that no trial can destroy this living hope, but that you use trials. You use every trial to refine my faith so I'll have even more joy in your glory in heaven forever. So no trial is wasted. No trial is purposeless. You'll use every trial to bring me more joy in you forever. God, fill me with hope as I go through these trials. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And though you do not now see him, but you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full, filled with glory. So pray something like this. Thank you that I don't need to wait for heaven for this joy. But thank you that you will give me tastes of heaven's joys now. You'll give me tastes of this joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, the joy of knowing, worshiping, beholding Jesus Christ. So Lord, thank you for this joy. Give me some more of this joy right now, I pray. Help me to see more clearly who you are in Christ and what I will have in Christ. And then verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you, Father, that because of Jesus, my soul will be saved forever. I will be forgiven forever, and I will enjoy your love and your goodness forever. Amen. Amen. Then fifth, step out and start loving others in bold new ways. For example, invite someone out for coffee this week. Love this to hear your story. Let's get together for coffee. Maybe offer to babysit for some busy young parents who aren't able to get out and be alone for an evening at all. Offer to babysit, maybe with a friend of yours for moral support. Meet someone new this morning. Ask them how long you've been coming to Grace. Tell me your story. How can I pray for you? Maybe pray for them right there. Join a home group if you're not already part of a home group. Home groups are growing and learning how to earnestly love one another from a pure heart. So join a home group. Um, invite someone over for dinner. Uh, serve people in tangible ways. Um, 
I mentioned joining a home group. If you're part of a home group, think about becoming a home group leader. That will be a great way to show love for more people. We need more home groups. Ben mentioned earlier about joining a task force. That's a tangible, practical way to serve. But understand, this love doesn't come from our just willpowering it, our trying to choose to do it. It comes from setting our hope back on Christ. And as he gives us this hope, our souls are purified and love flows. That's how it works. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Father, I ask that this week we'd have many times when we sit down, open up the word, and take these steps to rekindle our hope, to to obey the truth of the gospel, to put our trust back in Jesus, to take our hope out of other things and put our hope back in beholding Christ and having the joy of knowing him forever. Give us many times this week when we do that. And that as we do it, you would purify our souls so that we can earnestly love one another from a pure heart. Lord, do that for your glory, for the blessing of our brothers and sisters, and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name.